Hello, everybody, and welcome to some more interseason goodness from your boys at Sequelizers. As always, I am your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me, my fellow Sequelizer, Mr. Matthew Stockton. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, Jack? I'm all right. I'm quarantined and locked down and all that kind of stuff. Cause yeah. Yeah. It's still the end of the world and we're recording remotely, as the listeners can probably tell from the audio. We're back to being remote again after a, a couple of weeks of on the couch. Yeah, d- don't ask. We recorded them in a weird order, but we're, we're back. Mm. <laughs> and, of course, joining us, as always, Mr. Tim Matum. Anything could happen in the next half an hour. Oh, brilliant. I like that. That's very, that's very true. You never know what's going to happen on an episode of Sequelizers, let alone an interseason episode of Sequelizers. You yeah. can almost guarantee one thing, though. It's not going to be half an hour. Exactly. Long. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one thing you know for sure, we're going to ramble for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, as the interseason content rolls on, <laughs> as we, uh want better phrase, postpone season six until we're able to all get back into the same room together, we're tackling some different topics, different subjects. And this is... A pretty unique one I hadn't even really thought about, if I'm honest, before we discussed doing this episode. And it's relevant to the times we're living in now, I guess. This episode we're going to be talking about our Cinematic Crisis Squad. Which three cinematic fictional characters would we summon to help us in a dramatic crisis? Yeah, this this was uh, my idea, and it was sort of based on a game that I used to play with friends, where we would essentially, uh, it was based on League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh-huh. and the idea was that you could pick characters from any uh, f- fictional universe, uh, any any medium except comic books, because they already have a lot of crossovers in them, uh, and they had to be uh, from the same period. So if you picked Sherlock Holmes, then all your characters would have to be kind of Victorian era characters, or you know yeah. you could pick a, a squad that was in the seventies or whatever. Um, and so we used to have fun just kind of like putting together teams of of awesome characters, you know, generally with a kind of uh, vague superheroic bent to their to the the idea of the kind of missions they were they would be tackling. Um, and, uh, so my thinking with this is, you know, this is a more, uh, well-rounded and perhaps slightly realistic, uh, crisis (laughs) squad. So they're not out there battling supervillains. They are out there reacting to your natural disasters, your, uh, your pandemics as we, uh, are all living through one and that Mm. sort of thing. Um, so it's a slightly broader range of skills rather than just this person is good at punching. Um, hmm. But you know, maybe <laughs> maybe that's how you want to approach uh, this kind of thing. Uh, so that that was kind of the genesis of it, and I thought it would hmm. make for an interesting uh, discussion and a grab bag of characters that we that we could all uh, take from. I've heard there's uh, something called the Four Horsemen of Leveling, which is oh god, I'm going to get this wrong. If I remember correctly, it's Mass mobilization warfare, transformative revolution, lethal pandemics. Oh, and and uh, politics, uh, state failure, state failure. And the idea is those four are the great equalizers among humanity. It's like, and, and that's obviously including like you know, oh, right, okay. the the nature of like, what are the things that come out of nowhere that just 
shatters everything. Obviously, including natural disaster and climate change now is a more, you know, present thing. But um, yeah, it's it's a tricky one, and, and I must admit this list. I love the conversation around it, and I love the ideas behind it because then you start realizing what you want your rounded squad to be like, almost like a uh, like a D and D or RPG style group, or even like the, a like a party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want a balanced mix, um, and then you know it's interesting what we've prioritized ourselves. But most importantly, and where the conversation will end up later is I wanted to make sure, or at least initially, at least I, I want to try and diversify mine as much as I could. And because we're doing this with films specifically, it becomes really problematic because for lack of just how Hollywood has presented itself over the years and them being some of the big films that have the money to do big blockbustery, towering inferno style things or, you know, volcanoes erupting in the middle of Los Angeles or what the fuck ever or earthquakes or, you know, San Andreas style, you know, floods. It's almost always a burly or at least a wiry big white dude. And... If you want to try and say, all right, who are we going to get? And then we also have the other people who are, you know, um, either people of eth- uh, people of color or people, uh, sorry, of uh, different genders. Th- the question then becomes, nobody listens to them and say, well, I want someone who's going to be listened to. So we have lots of things to discuss and lots of issues we've uh, sort of encountered along the way. Because I didn't want just like, oh, I'll have three white dudes. And then I'll, my list went, ah, sh- shit. Kind of is a little bit. Um... But yeah, we should we should uh, discuss first of all. I think um, the nature of crisis, because as we've experienced in a sort of let's get let's get depressing for a second. The world is pretty fucking childish, um, <laughs> and every time something bad happens, everyone's first to say, "Well, whose fucking fault is this?" Because it's not my fault. As they're you know making things ten times worse, um, and it's all about. Sp- spinning the the sort of propaganda machine and how can we make something sound like a war effort like we can embolden the spirit of the people so that when people do die they can say yeah but it was a brave sacrifice it's like no i don't i don't think that's what that was i think that was uh something that could have been avoided but you know if you've done your fucking job that kind of thing and then it spills into what should be a great unifier that we are you know the great equalizer that is in this case like a pandemic or or like if there's a tsunami or something because the world does rally together and does some amazing fucking things at its worst. But at the same time, borders suddenly become more important and people get much more um, wary of the other, which is such a, 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 I mean, at times a strange concept as it is, but yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a strange one um, in terms of how we react as a species. I think that's certainly to, to, to a certain extent true. Um, I think, a lot of that tends to come afterwards, though, or kind of in the oh, immediate wake. Yeah. Um, I think there's sort of a, a, a two-pronged immediate reaction, which is that some people will panic, um, and, you know, we've seen panic buying and all those kind of things, but I think those things are also tend to be a little bit overstated because... It's easier to. It's always easier, and we've seen this with you know things like the reaction to climate change, where we're told, "Oh, you know, are you doing your part? Are you not using straws?" Where mm, really yeah. the problems happen on massive macro levels that require governments and corporations to take action, and they'd much yes. rather they could just point at us and go, mm, "Yeah, but you didn't properly sort your recycling." So really, yeah, who's to blame? Yeah, um, yeah. 
<laughs> I think, you know, it's it's very easy to point at people and go like, oh, you went out for two walks today. You know, if people die of coronavirus, it's your fault. And obviously yeah, yeah. these kind of events require everyone to do their part. But it is mismanagement and greed on much larger levels by kind of big... Mm societal monoliths you know it's yeah. the it's the companies that are hiking prices on ventilators uh mm. to make a profit during this that are the real problem and then oh yeah and then afterwards you have this continue apportioning of blame and like you say matt the the kind of the oh who, who can we blame for this let's tighten up our sure. borders let's you know let's let's hand around you know uh the the blame and the uh, who we think should should pay the price for these kind of things. Of course, uh, and it often uh, is not really surprising how often that blame ends up not going to you know rich corporations, yeah, <laughs> uh, and governments. I find it interesting as well in how film presents it. So one of the big TV events of last year, so the big high budget TV events, was Chernobyl. Mm. And it talked about, again, uh, a horrific disaster um, due to arguably mismanagement and unfortunate nature of things and just just a a myriad of things. And then you had a government who were unprepared to deal with it properly. People who were, you know, very bravely sacrificing their lives with minimal protection and wrong equipment and so on and so forth. And very familiar things we're seeing now. and TV in a long form is great because you get the, the the initial setup, you get a lot of established characters, you get the crisis itself, you get the aftermath and all kinds of things. Film tends to do one of two things. It'll either be the shock of the impact itself, so it'll be the, the disaster or the event or whatever it is. Um, so just again, for an example, uh, Towering Inferno, as I said earlier. That's mm. a, that's an older classic uh, crisis film. Um, to call back to one of the ones we did, The Poseidon Adventure. These are obviously um, of a certain era. Uh, sorry, of a certain era and a certain uh, certain type. Then, speaking of Ewan McGregor, you've got... Um, oh, what's it called now? The Impossible, I think it is. The the um, uh, the one with the tsunami, again. Oh, yeah, know, I think. yeah. Yeah. Or you get something like Dark Waters, which recently came out with, um, with Mark Ruffalo, talking about... The nature of the Flint um, water scandal and all the sort of chemicals in the water plant, as I say, and it's either the event or after the event. But the film doesn't really have time to deal with the whole thing without cheapening it. It seems. I think Chernobyl is a really interesting thing to touch on there, Matt, because it is so layered in that, as you said, mismanagement on a political level, on a scientific level, on a communications level, and then you have the kind of I don't say kind of conspiracy theories coming true, but like the oh the government's covering it all up and all this kind of stuff. And there's been a lot of rumors of that kind of stuff happening with this thing with COVID nineteen with the coronavirus. Sure. And like oh the Chinese government isn't reporting their numbers properly and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff. And that's always going to be a thing that unfortunately we're in this kind of mentality in a lot of ways encouraged by certain political figures who I will not mention here Mm. that encourage that kind of bullshit political like game everything turns into a political game everything is like oh this is this is all about taking our rights away and all this kind of stuff it's like no it's not it's about people dying stay inside you dumb cunts Yeah, yeah like people just don't take that seriously and I think some films in a film 
there's a little teaser I'll touch on in a moment that kind of touches on this quite well is Contagion from 2011. Mm. And it's been, we had a lot of like scientific consultants on it and all this kind of stuff. And it had a lot of people really applaud how realistically it handled the situation and how obviously you've got the conspiracy theory character in that film as well. And he's going around in his hazmat suit and being mental and all this kind of stuff. But like that is this real kind of, interesting way of how different societies and different people handle things in different ways and then the commonality between that as well you see similarities between how this is being handled how contagion happened how chernobyl happened how tsunami and as you said the the flint michigan water yeah yeah scandal debacle whatever you want to call it it's all yeah tied in together and and as you rightly said tim earlier it's like yeah, you, you don't use plastic bags and make sure you're using paper straws, but we'll carry on doing fracking and <laughs> mining things underwater and just ruining <clears throat> the entire environment on a macro global scale. But make mm. sure you don't use a plastic straw. Like, sure, I guess in a way everyone do, ha, does have to do their you know their own bit. But yeah, I, I think we eventually we're going to need to get to a point where the larger governments and corporations and stuff actually need to take responsibility for this shit but i don't think that's ever going to happen and we've suddenly got very political <laughs> well that's right because we're going to fix that by summoning three fictional people to deal with it for us yeah exactly and it's it's it, it's that thing about talking about this stuff in in real life compared to the fictional versions of it because very rarely in real life is there uh, a neat arc that you could wrap up in 110 minutes where you know uh, and and even in films of this type where you know perhaps it, it acknowledges corporate wrongdoing it's usually one person at a corporation who you know signed off on a thing and is is sort of a slightly mustache twirling villain who was like yeah. i don't care if they're gonna if it's gonna give all these orphans head tumors I want my profits up this quarter. Um, and it's like, it's very rarely people who are out and out evil. It's just people acting in self-interest and not, not thinking about their impact. It's, it's uh, the classic human thing of a bit greedy, a bit negligent. And that's all it takes for yes. something really bad to happen. Yeah, You have enough people and enough combinations of those two things and it all just adds up very quickly. Yeah. Yes, but that doesn't make for a very good story uh, so uh that's not <laughs> that's not the kind of thing that gets shown so why don't we get stuck in and start picking some of our favorite cinematic fictional people who we think would be a good help in a crisis and tim i'm going to come to you first because matt said it on the chat before and i've said it already one of your picks your first pick on this uh, on the list here is a is a fucking doozy, and you you literally beat me to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I took a pick from a film, um, which has a, it it comes from a very kind of specific genre that you more often see in TV, which mm. is uh, uh, something that uh, John Rogers, who was the the creator of Leverage, termed competence porn, mm. uh, uh, yeah. which is just where you 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 have people who are good at their jobs and you watch them be good at their jobs and it's really satisfying <laughs> uh you know obviously i've never heard that before but i'm i'm so on board obviously you know dumbed down a little bit for for us 
for us thickos because you know if it was just people doing their highly technical jobs we wouldn't understand any of it but you know um and you know you often get this kind of explainer as they go along the way and like i say mostly that's you see that in tv but uh one of the best cinematic examples of it is the martian um which is a film that's become real comfort viewing for me just because i yeah there's something about it that i i find very satisfying and mark watney uh matt damon's character in that is someone who is obviously faced with this enormous crisis of <laughs> of kind of being stranded not just mm. like a you know uh tom hanks in castaway but stranded yeah, yeah. in an environment that is completely in- inhospitable um mm. and surviving for a huge you know a, a long span of time and he just kind of he has a few moments where he breaks down and you know really struggles with the enormity of what is ahead of him but most of the time he is just okay what's the first job let's do that what's the next job let's yeah, do that yeah. uh it is a trait that i do not have myself um, <laughs> and that i thus uh am greatly uh, uh admiring of um, and it's and obviously he brings he's a, a botanist in the film, but he's kind of, you know, able to uh, jury rig a lot of equipment, uh, he, you know, a, a capable enough engineer and obviously someone who just has the right mindset for when it comes to tackling problems, just kind of, OK, like let's line up what's wrong and let's start taking care of it. And uh, and as he says in the film, sciencing the shit out of things. <laughs> <laughs> he he very much is um, a an embodiment of basically a lot of cliches. He is the embodiment of hope and the human spirit and perseverance and ingenuity and everything we like to think of ourselves as. You know, being the crafty ape. Um, and it's like this is what we the best of humanity um mm. it's everything we can be and on the other end of it you have you know not just mark wanting himself but in, in the in the martian specifically you have the rest of the team on earth desperately trying to work together to get him back and do what they can to interface you've got the team on the on the ship sort of doing the turn doing the maths can they turn around and get him um and and it's it, it's such a strange thing for a ridley scott film as well because <laughs> um, you're like this doesn't feel like... I mean, Scott's usually quite dour for most of the things he does, but this is so upbeat and so... And again, I, I really do um, credit that to Drew Goddard's script, but also, let's face it, to Matt Damon's fucking performance. Mm. Um, and, and Watney, is, as he's written... I haven't read the book, personally, that, it, that it's based on, but I love The Martian. It was fantastic. I have read the book, um, and I absolutely loved the book and was very, very pleased to see that Andy Weir was kind of approving of the film and yeah. i was like okay this bodes well and then the trailer came out i'm like okay this looks really good and yeah it lived up to every expectation it's one of my sort of favorite books of the last decade or so and then one of my favorite films as well astrophysicist jack likes the book about spaceman <laughs> what a surprise the, the, the guy who loves science got really into a book that basically describes a bunch of sciencey stuff. Like you said, Tim, I've, I've never heard of the uh, competence porn phrase before, but that is just fair science done well in a thing. I'm just like, mm, yes, please give me more. Yeah, I need more of that in my life. And the fact that Watney is able to keep so 
entertaining and as you said matt like he brings a light-heartedness to it as well he brings hope and you know he's listening to all the fucking disco and all this kind of <laughs> stuff and, like, and uh bringing that and then also like you know he mixes the wrong things i think it's a one of the hydrogen things goes wrong and like the the tent the hab tent explodes oh yeah yeah and all this kind of stuff and you see him dealing with small problems and bigger problems and like you said tim he's got that brilliant way of building this up of like okay i need to solve this first first of all i need to work out how to get water and then i need to work out how to get that water from here to here and then i work out how the water goes into the thing and then transfers into that thing and then da 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 and build it out that way and yeah i feel like you could just put mark watney in any situation and he would just probably just work his way around and be very strategic about it and very scientific about it and they're two things i greatly admire in you know great thinkers and and scientists and things Mm. like that Watney's a weird one. I mean, well, he's a perfect choice for this, certainly. And he's a great choice of character in general because he's a really fun one to watch. He also feels like every single um, Lee Child or Harlan Coben style detectives, like, they're kind of <laughs> cool and grizzled and they're good at everything. And it's like, right. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I should admit, if anyone's getting angry about those things, I haven't for those books. I don't fucking know. I'm guessing. But the point is that he, he to me, feels like how... Every American dude hopes and or wants himself to be. And there's, again, a very broad generalization there. But the idea, like, I want to be good at something. And more, more than that, I want to be able to be an emotionally driven guy, but also someone who can put that to one side and focus on a problem. And, oh, look at me. I built a fucking bird box and be proud of it. And him eating his <laughs> shit potatoes and stuff like that. And it's just, yeah, he's a he's a really... um. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one because I, I can't think of a lot of problems, that, as, as Jack just said, that Mark Rockney gets sort of you know, airdropped into that he can't kind of fix, arguably. Maybe a fire. I think what separates Watney from, as you said, like the like a Jack Reacher type character who is just like, I am the best everything. I am the smartest. I am the strongest. I am the fastest. In any room he walks into, he's just a mega badass and you get those kind of ultimate super powerful not quite superheroes but they're basically superhero characters yeah yeah i think the way watney kind of distinguishes himself from that is you know he has training in science and he uses what he's learned from botany and adapts that into different methods so he starts doing chemistry botany also includes some chemistry and then he realizes like okay if i need to do this well i know from my astronaut training that i need to do this and do that and he's bringing his expertise from the one thing he's really fucking good at and adapting it and turning it and twisting it and making mm. it into another thing. He's not just arbitrarily brilliant at everything. And he does make mistakes, I think, which is another important part. Like yeah. he's not just but learns magic magic fucking spaceman. Yeah, I think there's there's an important distinction. And I think there's a reason that for a long while, like especially in America it seems, like astronauts were held up as as the kind of example of like Almost like the Ubermensch, um, yeah, yeah. where because they're, <laughs> they're almost always military people as well, which Americans fucking love. Yeah, um, there's a kind of knowledge that they have to be capable in so many different disciplines and have that kind of mental fortitude to be able to deal with these situations that that, that makes them that kind of archetype. Um, but I think, like like saying the kind of the, the other thing that distinguishes Watney from your kind of uh, Jack Reachers. Is that there doesn't there doesn't seem to be a lot of kind of uh, 
masculinity tied up with how he acts. Whereas yeah. in the bits that I've seen of uh, Jack Reacher, um, there, there's a sort of a weird uh, macho-ness to the character. Um, yeah, not a weird yeah. macho-ness. There's an overt macho-ness in a lot <laughs> yeah. of things. Uh, and, and it's possibly mainly because we never see Mark Watney beat anyone up, which I don't think he'd particularly be skilled <laughs> at. But... Um, but there's also there's very little there doesn't seem to be a lot of ego to him particularly um mm, yep. beyond just a Absolutely. kind of determination okay. he's he's sort of more than willing to cede to other people's expertise when they mm. know better than him uh and that kind of thing yeah but that's 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 one approach to science jack do you want to take us through your first character uh, who has a slightly different approach to science <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he's certainly a doctor uh, <laughs> and a scientist in in a way. Yeah. But my main thinking was, if everything goes horribly fucking wrong, who could I get to reasonably build a time machine so we can go back and fix all this bullshit? <laughs> the Libyans. <laughs> the Libyans. So I can go back, sell some weapons to the Libyans. Make some money and then start from start from scratch. <laughs> and if if you're not getting that Libyan reference, I'm talking about Doc Brown from the Back to the Future series. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was pretty much my thinking in a more silly kind of way of just like, well, if everything goes horribly fucking wrong, we can at least get a DeLorean and sort ourselves out, or a train, or whatever we need to travel back in time and hopefully solve all these problems because. The Back to the Future timeline is mad and doesn't make any sense <laughs> and rewrites itself multiple times and all kinds of stuff. So I, I'm all for that. I could have argued that maybe Bill and Ted would have been one, but <laughs> I feel like there would be two picks and it would be a, maybe a step even further because they literally like rewrite history for themselves. And, you know, he drops off the keys for himself, so he knows where they're going to be for himself later on. <laughs> like, Should have okay. just got Rufus. Yes. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> could could have just done Rufus. But yeah, I think Doc Brown would be an interesting guy to just bring some mad sign I, I almost want to put like Mark Watney and Doc Brown in a room together Ooh. and see them like see Watney kind of like dial him down and be like, <laughs> Okay, right, Doc, you've got this and you've got that, but how about we try this instead? And you'd have the great Scott kind of moment, and then uh, we go from there. But yeah, I think Doc Brown would be a fantastic they're, they're both, scientific choice. They're both slightly irresponsible with fissionable material, <laughs> materials. <laughs> Plenty of explosions and yeah, yeah. lack of responsibility. Yeah, <laughs> Doc Emmett Brown is a, is a really good show. I mean, he he does initially go, oh, that's, that's fun. It's like, no, 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 he makes a lot of sense because he, across the course of three movies... He starts out as this very zany risk taker who most people don't seem to believe in, but he has a genuinely genius level scientific mind. He's a literal genius. He literally is. He is literally. Yeah, and but also he's incredibly cautious and arguably smart, but also self-sacrificing. And, and yeah, I, I think he's... Um, a bit of a noble mindset to himself. He's like, you know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to? But he's he's talking to Marty in his first recording about where he might go first, that kind of thing. Um, and it's it's initially just a sort of a, a selfish errand sort of thing. Selfishness is his own slight problem, but we'll get back to that in a second. Um, 
but then over the course of like the third film where he's hiding out in the west and he's making his own refrigerator and just being a blacksmith and stuff he's taken his scientific knowledge and rather than just trying to elevate the society around him and change the course of history he does the arguably semi-responsible thing of just taking care of himself um making a few tweaks here and there with the, like again creating the refrigerator sort of as it were to to make his little ice cubes and such <laughs> but he's He's applying his knowledge in a new way. Like he becomes a blacksmith. He shoes horses. It's nothing to do with his profession at all as a, as a certain area of science. But he's adapted that craft to a new thing. So again, I think depending on what the crisis is, if you put it in front of him, he'd have to resort to some sort of plan or or something to effectively figure it out. I mean, admittedly, I don't know what his plan was in the second film. <laughs> other than Marty's <laughs> kids got arrested, I guess. Um... But that aside, I think I think Doc Brown's a really, really interesting choice. Also, let's face it, Christopher Lloyd's fucking great. Although, when we mentioned about like Watney and, and, and Christopher Lloyd in a room, I thought to myself, oh, that'd be a bit like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. And they realised, no, no, Christopher Lloyd's in that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think you touched on it there, Matt. The through line between Watney and Doc Brown is the adaptability and being able to take their specific knowledge and their in their field or in their expertise or whatever it is and then adapt it to... Now he's a blacksmith. Now the botanist is doing chemistry and all this other kind of stuff and being able to really take what they know and change it in a way and make it useful on a grander scale and make it useful for themselves and for the people around them as well. And I think adaptability is such a huge, huge factor in an apocalypse, a pandemic, a crisis, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a a big thing that's going to be a, a through line for a lot of these characters. I agree. Speaking of which, how about you, Mr. Stocks? Um, I'm going to talk about one I dropped very quickly because it, 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 the perfect link now would be to go to my scientist. It'd be like, Matt, who's your science guy? And I'm like, well, I got rid of him. Um, I was like, oh, who, who's your replacement science guy? I, d- I, don't, I don't really have one. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So I was going to go with Spock. Um, because again, in terms of like logical scientific mindset and things, that was great. But then I started thinking about what he does in the movies, not what he does in the television series, because that's where the real scientific mind comes out. And I'm like, he doesn't really science much in those movies. <laughs> he kind of just dies and fucks off out a door every now and again. Yeah, that's not really, and he does more politics than anything else. That's actually not very helpful. And then you go to the you know the Into Darkness version, and yeah, that's a good. Zach Quinto is a great Spock, but I'm like. Yeah, he doesn't really... No, he doesn't know. So, based on that principle, and the evidence brought forth in a cinematic style, I decided to focus on something that was entirely... So I'm, I'm talking about the, the heart of my group, to start with. Um, and that is Steve Rogers, Captain America. Um, because ultimately... And the thing is, when I when we sat down to do this, the first name that came out of my mind immediately, immediately was Captain America. It's like, I have to have Cap on there. Um, and then I thought to myself, actually, maybe Superman's a better choice because he can do more physically. Thought, no, 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 no. He needs to be Cap. He needs to be human. He needs to be someone that people can rally behind. And for me, as much as the individuals such like, like Watney and Brown, for example, can solve a problem or can do the thing where they compartmentalise adapt etc 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 i needed somebody who could lead a situation because i've seen in film especially far too many situations where scientists have a great fucking idea and everyone goes yeah yeah yeah, shut up you bring me a gun and <laughs> i feel like <laughs> how the perfect... can we punch it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like 
can we shoot it in the face um uh but i think i think cap is a necessary thing for my team especially i need i need a leader on the team who's going to be able to delegate control whatever i need someone who's going to as it's shown in the films do the right thing no matter what because film scientists tend to uh, I think like, like I was getting to think like, annihilation, for example. I was thinking, oh, there's some really good scientists there as well. No, they all get kind of caught up in it because scientists become very obsessed with the answer, not what's going. On. I mean, like even like in Arrival and such like that. You know, some really interesting um, scientific minds. I'm like, yeah, but you are helping in a different way. And I, I, I kind of wanted someone who was going to be able to focus on how to control, maintain, and effectively. Um, as awful as this is going to sound, police the situation. As I was say, ma- manage the idiots is another yeah, thing as well. Pretty much, and I I need someone <laughs> that's going to be a unifier, someone that I think everybody looks up to. And I don't say everyone looks up to Captain America, but I do. So that's that's a cool shot from my side. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's what matters. Damn it! Damn right. I think Cap's a really interesting choice because, uh, and we kind of touched upon this in the in the pre-show chat we were having, and kind of like okay. What's a crisis? What are we talking about? Or how do we define all this kind of stuff? I would never in a million years think like, oh, I need a military guy, mm. which is essentially what Captain America is. Oh, yeah. But you're right in that leadership sense. Like once, not even once this is all blown over, but while it's all happening, you need someone to kind of be the symbol of hope and that and not to coin a Man of Steel bullshit phrase, mm-hmm. but have him be that person the the masses the the sheep the the people who will just kind of do what they're told have someone rational and actually be able to plan out a, a thought thoughts and a plan of action and all this kind of stuff have someone who can actually lead them in a positive way and not just kind of leave people to it and i think maybe he would be able to be the one that the as we said like in the films you, none of the scientists ever get listened to Maybe Cap could be the one that could bridge that gap between the politicians and the scientists and whatever, mm. and you get Doc Brown, Mark Watney, whoever it is, coming up and be like, "Okay, I've got this great idea," and they're like, "Yeah, whatever, can we shoot it?" And Cap's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa before we start shooting stuff, let's let's listen to my friend over here." And Cap can kind of be the mediator there, and he's got the I don't know the charisma and the pull in both senses to be able to to mediate and bring everyone together in that sense and unite people yes, of yes. different expertise and different sides and things like that as well yeah i think uh I, I was really really happy when they had that small scene in the avengers where cap kind of drops in on the police officers yes and yes. instructs them That's exactly like, what, I thinking about, yeah. what they need to do basically um because that that is exactly who cap should be uh, you know to kind of looking at the comics and and how he is written when he's written really well is he is a, a kind of strategically brilliant um and but also someone who is very selfless both in the sense that he's willing to make his own sacrifice but he's he's always he's not just thinking okay how are we gonna you know punch these aliens he's also thinking okay what is the consequence of having these here there's civilians like that's that needs to be the priority um mm. and you know, certainly, again, we're, we're talking kind of movies more than comics, but but in yes, the comics yeah. is, is, you know, the Avengers deal with the biggest crises, the ones that are most likely to have these kind of massive civilian casualties. And so, mm. and it, it's been a running theme, you know, it's, it's basically what Civil War was about of 
how do you minimize you know casualties um, yeah how do you deal with these kind of very explosive situations and and again we see in endgame you know cap is someone who even when he's helping other people process their own grief he is someone who kind of won't give up on a situation even when it's mm. already you know the the worst has already happened he he will continue looking for solutions yeah I mean, the thing is, when we talk about crises and stuff like that, obviously, I think a lot of the reaction is to go to say, oh, well, what about, like, again, a pandemic? And say, well, I mean, Cap, as far as we're aware, again, film Cap especially, has a higher um, metabolism. He's probably quite immune to a lot of things. Therefore, he's he can got go a into super immune system, you assume. Yeah. And so what about when, like, a Chernobyl situation? It's like, yeah, he probably wouldn't be too bad there either. What about, like, a, a flood? It's like, well... <laughs> Yeah, okay, wouldn't be able to stop a flood or anything like that, and a, whatever. But at the same time, he's still there for managing the aftermath. He's there to, um, uh, as, as Tim mentioned, the, st- the strategy, the st- strategy behind it, the the um, organizing of the relief effort, and also more importantly, holding everybody, including himself, to the highest account. Mm. So if something goes wrong and it's his fault, there's that humility to say, nope we messed up. This was us. This is on us. We need to make this right. And that is a kind of really important driving force for my team in theory. I need that that immediate reaction to be right. What can we do to help? How can I best place everybody in the right position and everyone's the right thing? I mean, I all need like a cap on screen saying, everybody, stay at home. That kind of <laughs> thing. It's like, yeah. And like, I will stay home. Thank you, Captain America. Um, and then at the same time afterwards saying, right, okay, we've had a lot of pushing and shoving. We need to find out what went wrong. What's the blame? What can we do to fix it in future? That kind of thing. And meeting the minds. But equally, if people are going too far with certain stuff to equally stop them as well. And it's just, yeah, I, I think he's the perfect um, starting point for my team, shall we say, because I'm making some other weird choices. So, yeah. <laughs> we we need Chris Evans to get get the suit back on and make some of those Spider Man Homecoming PSAs, where yes. it's just like everybody stay at home, wash your hands, you know, help we really help do if you that, can. <laughs> hey Chris, if you're listening, could you do that please? That'd be yeah. great. So that's my that's my starting point. But Tim, what's your what's your the middle of your sandwich? Um, my next choice, I I wanted a medical professional. Um, yep. Not just because, you know, one of the impetus for this was obviously the pandemic that's going on at the moment. Um, mm. And that is a common, you know, crisis type. Um, but even in situations where it's not, even if you're dealing with natural disasters, then, the you know, the thing that comes after that is, oh, and now there's a bunch of diseases spreading because, you know, things have gone wrong. And that's what happens afterwards. Um, and uh, I also, you know, we... we mentioned this briefly at the start and I think we're going to have a, a further conversation once we've got all of our, our squad set up uh, at this point I kind of had my two other picks in mind and I wanted uh, a woman because my other two picks were men yeah. and it's very odd how there are so many female doctors on TV and yet when you start looking at film it's almost all men playing doctors Um, especially kind of notable doctors who you know you have enough of them to get the idea of what their character is like um and so the person that i ended up going for is dr laurel weaver from men in black uh linda florentino's character aka l yes aka l in the briefly 
at the end of the film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I picked her. Uh, she she met the criteria that I had for things. Um, and she is also someone who has to deal with extremely strange things and takes them completely in stride. Where she's like, very true. There's a the the scene where she's like, hey, I, I you're not really gov- you know from the CDC or wherever they're pretending to be from. I think this guy's an alien, and I think you guys belong to a, an agency that's responsible for covering it up. And she's basically halfway through explaining the entire plot of the film when uh, Tommy Lee Jones has to uh, neuralise her. So she's clearly someone who is very fast on the uptake and is also willing to believe extraordinary things. Um, and I think that that is... Um, like you say, the, the the common refrain through a lot of disaster films is people not believing things until it's too late. Yeah. Uh, and she is clearly someone who is ready to be like, no, this is the most, like, uh, there's some weird shit going on and this is the most logical explanation based mm. on what I've seen. Um, and so I thought she would be quite a level-headed uh, person in a crisis who, uh, again, has, has medical skills to bring, um, she's a, a medical examiner, so you know. Unfortunately, uh, whenever, whenever there's death involved, she's can get to the root cause of it, uh, mm. and also has enough skills that she was able to join the Men in Black afterwards. So yeah, yeah, calm, open-mindedness with a um, technical understanding of physiology and stuff like that. It's a, it's a really, it's a really interesting one. I like it. Again, one I would never have thought of in a million years. But now you said it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that totally makes sense." Yeah, mm. yeah. I think that that level-headedness, and as you said, Tim, the the way she clocks onto things, and it's like, "Well, yeah, clearly you're the agency that defends the Earth against the aliens, right?" And they're like, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> like she was, she would be the one that would be able to see through the bullshit. And as we were talking about earlier, maybe there's some some conspiracy theorists and some government cover-up and all this kind of stuff, and she's the one that's going to be there to be like, actually, no, this is how it actually is, and this is how it all works, and I've got you all sussed out, because, yeah, I've, I, I know what I'm doing, basically. And, as you said as well, she's a she's a medical doctor, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Always useful to have. Very yeah, handy to have. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think your next pick is also a medical doctor. Speaking of female doctors, yeah. I have gone for perhaps the obvious choice, <laughs> I touched, and I touched upon this earlier, uh, from the 2011 film, which has seen quite a resurgence recently in streaming efforts. It was number one on the uh, Amazon like film list. It was number one on iTunes a week or so ago, the 2011 film Contagion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the person who kind of works out what's going on, tests it all, does a vaccine on herself which is mental when, yeah. in, the, in the grand scheme of things, and solves all the problems when everybody else is saying, oh, no, it, it, we think it's this, and everything's probably going to be fine. This character turns around and goes, no, I know it's this, and it's not going to be fine. We need to fucking solve this right now, is uh, Ali Hextel, played by Jennifer Eller, the mm-hmm. CDC scientist doctor in uh, Contagion. And, yeah, I couldn't not think of this film. I, again, recently rewatched it, and forgot how much I enjoyed it and yeah she's just the the scientific methods that she goes through and she talks about identifying different um, 
the the transfer method. So it's the whole spoilers for Contagion, I guess. <laughs> pig pig and bat thing combination that that causes this virus. Whereas everybody else is saying it's being spread by other stuff. It's being spread by inanimate objects and all this kind of stuff. And they're actually saying, actually, no, it's transferred by living hosts and it's doing this and doing that. And she researches a vaccine, tests it on herself because she can't get... The, the huge problem, is, as we kind of found out recently in real life, is vaccines take a really long time to produce and test correctly because if you get it wrong, it can go horribly fucking wrong and make things a lot, lot worse. Mm-hmm. And you really need to <laughs> have tested the vaccine before you open it up to the public. God, yeah, yeah. And the fact that she just does it on herself <laughs> in contagion is mental and something that I would probably never encourage an actual CDC doctor <laughs> to do. But... It's a bold move. It's a very Hollywood kind of thing, but it's an amazing moment and she gets that kind of moment where you go through the death toll and all this kind of stuff and and she gets to say, like, well, yeah, I've got a vaccine and they start passing it out and she is, in a way, the hero of that film. Um, and yeah, it's something I couldn't get my mind away from when we were first talking about the crisis. I was like, right, we're talking about a pandemic, right, guys? And Matt was like, well, not necessarily. I'm like, okay, interesting. Because <laughs> instantly that's where my mind went to because of the current situation. <laughs> of course, of course. And uh, yeah, this was my, like, I can't not pick her because <laughs> of the current situation. It's it's interesting because I, I really like Contagion. I saw it several years ago and it was just like, oh, this has got everybody in it. Um, and it, it does feel like one of those throwbacks to an old sort of disaster movie like Beside Adventure or Towering Inferno kind of thing where you're like mm-hmm. just tons of celebrity cameo sort of roles and people die off really quickly um, but with a really simple identifiable fear um, of something that could so quickly get out of hand um, and of course you know now um, but it is interesting because if you take all the um, characteristics of her character and if you heighten them a little, little bit more Hollywood, a little bit more, it's impossible for her to become a side character. But I think, again, because she's a woman, she is a side character. And also because it's a huge, sprawling cast. It's supposed to be like that. But it's weird. There's a strange parallel in my head with her character and Brad Pitt's character in World War Z. Um, I did think about that as well, yeah. It's yeah. the same thing, except he's got this sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's I know it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a jump in certain places. But ultimately, yeah, if it's like almost like if it was a dude, well, he'd obviously have to fix it and save the day. And it's like, whereas it's just like, no, she's just a scientist and a medical professional who is taking a huge risk for something that may not work. But ultimately, if it does, it's, it's going to hopefully transform the world in that regard. Or, or more accurately, not even just change the world, just just put a stopper in it and say, just let's just try and stop this for now and figure out what the fuck happened. That kind you know, to, to, to be in the... Um, in the aftermath of it all, pick itself up. But that kind of risk-taking and ingenuity and stuff is... Yeah, you kind of need that. Because almost every single human discovery, uh, especially medically speaking, has been a fucking accident or a fucking risk. Um, and Or ended up killing them, or both, or all it, three. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> so I think, I think your choice makes a lot of sense, to be honest. I really do. Yeah, I, I actually haven't seen Contagion. Um, oh, really, which it's is very good. which is weird because it it's a, a Soderbergh and I love him. Um, yeah, it's and one I, of his best in my opinion. It's very it's very Soderbergh as well. Yeah, uh, and I I I do love a, a big disaster film. Um, it's just one I haven't got around to seeing. And now watching it now, despite the fact that everybody else is, uh, feels a little bit morbid. Um, yeah, I might, yeah, I might go back to it once once all of this is 
reduced slightly. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I, obviously it, it's the perfect kind of choice for this situation. Um, and yeah, it's it's a, a very smart choice. Well, Mr. Stoggs, back around to you. Who's 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 Captain America's second in command, essentially, <laughs> in your team? Okay, so um, so yeah, my list is a bit of a weird one, uh, especially to start with. Um, so I got I got Cap heading up the team, uh, you know, calling the shots, seeing the battlefield as it were, figuring out where everything is and where they land. And then I wanted a rogue element. Um, much in the same way that you guys have uh, the risk takers and the people who see through the through the bullshit, I wanted somebody who was the smartest person in the room, and also somebody who had no problem taking matters into their own hands to achieve the right thing, and also somebody who lives kind of on the internet. So I went with Major Kusanagi, and I'm going to be very clear here. <laughs> I'm talking about Major Kusanagi in animated form specifically <laughs> um, in the Mamoru Oshii film Ghost in the Shell based on the uh, Masamune Shiro comics, not Scarlett Johansson. Um, I don't I don't feel like... Scarlett... No, fine, but no. So K- Kusanagi, and this is more developed in, in like um, uh, the TV series stuff, but in, in Ghost in the Shell 1 and 2 specifically... Um, she's a cop, basically. And the same way that Cap is a soldier, I wanted a cop. Um, somebody with a another keen analytical mind, but someone who understands technology. And not just in a simple scientific mindset, but the sprawl and effect of technology. And someone who has the reach into technology. Um, so if you don't know, Ghost in the Shell, um, in a world with cybernetic upgrades and things, which are getting, getting more closer and closer to what we are now, that sort of AR augmented reality kind of thing. Um, and she is uh, a rare example where she has a, a human brain and a effectively fully cyborg, a sort of a fully animated body. And, and, and she is a, a doll, effectively, with this, this human component. Um and that gives her a, a, a physical edge also. Because we can transfer her mind from various different sources. It means she can put herself in actual physical danger and harm where humans don't have to go into physical danger and harm. She can hack, control things. She can um, um, control satellite feeds, all kinds of things like that. So she can see this stuff coming. So in, in other words, she's my effective eye in the sky undercover. She's the one who's going to see the event before it happens. And with someone like Cap by her, would back her up in the whole idea of like no no we should be listening to this it's not just um a, a you know misdirect or chatter that and obviously she's focusing on all kinds of cyber crimes etc in 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 ghost in the shell but if you apply that to a different type of crisis whether it's a war whether it's um again like a state collapse or a famine or something like that or a natural disaster i still feel that is something you want to be able to Especially in, in this world now with technology, I feel you need someone who has that kind of reach. Um, and also the kind of bullshit control to be able to just say, no, this is the right thing to do. Fuck it, I'm doing it. Um, it's like if Cap and Iron Man were both on the same playing field, as it were. <laughs> so that's my second choice. You've also got the advantage that she's a synthetic, cybernetic, whatever the, the phrase they use is. Hmm. So... Like if there is a pandemic or if there's a huge like 
I don't know, like a tsunami or whatever. Yeah. She's, in theory, like immune to a bunch of diseases and stuff. She's incredibly strong and super intelligent and, mm-hmm. yeah, can, can fix loads of problems just being an absolute badass and has super, like, yeah. Super, it's, it's, she's super she, indestructible and all that. She kind has, of like, well. um, uh, like thrusters and support like, like buoys or whatever it is in her in her body so she i mean in the first film goes scuba diving for example just underwater and bato sort of chastises her so what happens if you, you know weapons if they fail and you just sink to the bottom of the ocean because obviously she weighs a lot of because um, she's pure metal and it's like there is this idea of no i want to be real i want to i want to i want to feel these things i want the risk and i also feel it's important to be human and because she, she's constantly introspectively analyzing what it is to be human and the evolution of human nature and society it's also the idea that she can do things that people can't because she is a, but she's also still a human being in a in a manner of speaking albeit a highly augmented one and therefore has that drive to do the right thing which is i think is a really important aspect because i mean once i started looking through my list i realized that i kind of wanted a lot of robots because um, humans can't be trusted um, but I think she's the sort of compromise between robot and human it's like no 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 I think she's got and again the ghost the soul whatever it is I think uh, yeah that's my hmm. I, I did think the Terminator was an odd choice for you <laughs> well it's uh, no no I, I don't think we can reprogram Robert Patrick it has to be a, an Arnie <laughs> <laughs> I think I think um, the fact that she's so au fait with the internet and digital culture is a really interesting angle that I hadn't really considered and seeing how much misinformation and stuff is being uh, passed around mm. and how and how those are the channels that we're able to fall back on at the moment uh, it's a really clever angle that, that I hadn't considered at all really um, Thank you. in just kind of how important digital life becomes uh, during these kind of events and it, and it's something we're seeing, you know, more and more where, you know, sort of whatever disasters, you know, before humanity, like the first thing you do is like, oh, okay, like what's what's happening on Twitter because that's the unfiltered, you know, <laughs> um, sort of, you know, there's people on there who are posting live video that isn't, you know, mediated by news companies who are, you know, might yeah. have a particular angle on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's a, a very interesting mm. angle. Well, in, in North Japan recently, maybe a couple of years ago, where North Korea launched a missile towards Japan, all the televisions and all the phones immediately were started broadcasting a single message and, you know, sirens went out. And it's very, you know, it's worrying. It's like, oh, that's a very dangerous technology to, to have. And it's like, it was just basically just saying, there is something going on, be prepared for something bad to happen. Mm. And so we had the same thing going. for coronavirus in the UK as well. We did. Um, and again, that's the nature of like, oh, is that dangerous? Is it going to be? A-? And it's, it's a good question to ask. But I think that's the nature of, again, that's why I have to have cap on my team for the oversight. But it, it is the question of how do you get this out to people? Because, I mean, we talk about in Britain, for example, not to get too political. Um, the, there's this daily. That's fine. It's true. The daily TV broadcast. And the Queen gave a speech recently. And you're like, cool, cool. Um, and if you speak to a lot of people, say, did you watch the uh, the update? Oh, no, no, I didn't really watch it. Or you got, like, you know, emails coming through from multiple companies saying, we've got your back here at Marks and Spencer. And, like, cool. I mean, I haven't shopped there in I don't know fucking how long. Um, but that's kind of the point. It's it's just a... It's, it's, it's so much information. And then, again, you go to the sources that you trust, i.e. Twitter or Facebook or wherever it's going to be, 
and yet just a stream of bullshit, and that's why people end up burning 5G towers, and you're like, well, fuck me. <laughs> so I think that, that, that yeah, in the day and age that we live in now, I think it's a, it's a, it's one that needs to be, a digital presence needs to be there, because, because all, all crises are handled and go out into the world via technology now, rather than, uh, it's, it's very rarely... You know, uh, someone with a microphone shoving the face saying, what did you see? It's like, well, I've just got the footage here on my phone, that kind of thing. Very true. Tim, Tim, what are you rounding your team off with? So my final pick is a character. It's not entirely kind of disconnected from what we've just talked about, but someone who is not uh, as connected to technology as uh, Major Kusanagi. Uh, And basically, like could very well in in any other disaster film this person would probably be the villain <laughs> but, yeah, I, yeah. But, but I think if I put them on my team and offer them a decent paycheck I can probably oh, yeah. I can probably turn them around to working for the forces of good mm-hmm. um, and so the character that I have picked is uh, Nick Naylor from Thank You for Smoking I just who... want to say this right now I love that film and Aaron Eckhart is fantastic in that role. And when you wrote down, I thought, shit, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> For people who haven't seen it, it's basically a satire about lobbying in Washington uh, and public relations. And Nick Naylor is the sp- spokesperson for Big Tobacco. Uh, and it's kind of following him through a slight uh, crisis in both in in terms of how he views his job and also just in in terms of you know a, a kind of work crisis presents itself um and so he is someone who is extremely good at communicating uh you know he talks for a living um and he is very good at twist both twisting the facts to suit himself um and getting them across in the most effective way and so, like I said, he is the kind of character who would be the bad guy in most <laughs> of these kind of films. But also, he's the kind of person who, and you know, he does he does undergo a slight kind of moral crisis uh, in the film and mm. starts to question whether he is doing the most effective thing that he can um, and the most ethical uh, thing that he can. Um, and so, I'd hopefully get him in the right mood. <laughs> catch him on a good day um, and I think you know we've spoken about how important communication is and getting the right message out there um, and I think he would be someone who would know exactly the best way to communicate to people and also know the kind of uh, shitty things that people are going to do and have a kind of innate sense of like, okay, this is what the majority of responsible people are going to do, but here's what the shitty minority are going to do, and we need to be ready for that. It's the case of whenever there's a crisis, a politician comes on the screen or a leader or something, and behind them, and it's usually something that you only see in like a film or a TV analysis, uh, like The West Wing or something like that, is a spin doctor. And you either have that as some unscrupulous douchebag who will spin in your crap, and you're like, you are a fucking monster. Um, which Naylor can be at times. Mm. Or you have somebody who's like, the most charming person in the room who will sell you on the right thing. 
And that's kind of, I think, why Naylor's a great addition. Because Tim's got a combination, in my opinion, of head, heart, and mouth. Um, in the sense that his his Watney is his heart. That's the, the, you know, the, the hope and the, 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 the group. As well as being an intelligent individual. Mm-hmm. Then you've got uh, Weaver, who is the head. Because she is you know pure logic and, and, and incredibly... Uh, uh, rational mind, so and so forth, and then you've got Naylor, who's able just to sell them both. And in my way, you've got like, you know, you've got the cap who people will follow, whereas Naylor and your one is a great one people will get behind because he will sell you on the dream. It's like if Don Draper was a good guy, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think I think um, you're right. It, whether it's controlling a crisis or controlling the people, or just I say controlling, it's a very strong word. Sorry, um, if you're trying to maintain oh, <laughs> yeah just just yeah wipe out that's it yeah decimate that's it um thanos that's my other choice <laughs> oh god oh god uh you, you, i actually no i'll go that later um he's a scientist so um yeah i think nail is kind of a necessary thing because after the, the the in the aftermath especially you need someone to explain what's happened and sometimes, let's face it, as we've all seen recently, scientists don't always do a good job. It's why you see interviews, you see interviews with actors. You don't really see interviews with writers, or you rarely see interviews with writers. Because writers are usually quite, um, not inarticulate, but they can be quite introverted and, and, and not great at expressing themselves in that regard. Directors as well, you very don't always see them interviewed unless they're a big personality. It's always slap the actor in front of you, of, of the audience, sorry. Because they'll, and it's mostly like, you know, on... Um, I don't know, Fallon or or Graham Norton over here. They just talk shit. They promote the <laughs> film. They talk about their own weird anecdotes, but no one. They don't actually talk about the film and the character very much because nobody cares except seeing the film. Whereas the writer would be give you this big in depth thing and get lost, and it would be it's more that's more podcast area, you know. Um, I, I think Nail is that good uh, a good shout for that. Yeah, we've 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 spoken about how often scientists are ignored in uh, in these kinds of films and he is the kind of person who is good at getting people to listen um, yes. so if you've got him working for your side you you know that your points are going to be articulated well and mm-hmm. and he's also the kind of person who is adept at the sort of political wrangling that you would need to you know get the funds to where you need them to be and that sort of thing yeah, Naylor on the side of climate change would be so interesting. Yeah, that's that 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 would be a, a great <laughs> sequel to see. <laughs> thank you for fracking. Thank you for fracking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I saw a little side note. I saw thank you for smoking in in uh, in Portland in the states in Oregon, and it was released at the exact same time as um, uh, an inconvenient truth by uh, Al Gore. And everyone was talking about that, and I was like, I've seen a great funny film! <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack, you you have gone for someone who's not very much of a talker, but very much a doer. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about, Tim. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. And, uh, yeah, it's somebody who uh, doesn't do any of that shit that we just talked about. No, no science, <laughs> no communication, no, uh, I guess, sort of leadership skills, I guess, in a way. Um, I'm talking about Alice from Resident Evil, the Resident oh, Evil franchise, all the way from the original to Apocalypse and Extinction and Retribution and <laughs> Electric Boogaloo and the final chapter and all the other ones as well. And yeah, she's 
super powered and she's like psychic and super strong and immune to basically she's basically a superhero but also knows about zombie viruses and stuff and again i was in the kind of virusy kind of mood so i thought as much as i don't like her as a character (laughs) (laughs) film franchise alice is actually kind of a, a great choice just as a Almost as like a standalone. I don't know how well she'd work in a team of dog brown. <laughs> I just realized, like, I just imagined Hexdoll, Brown, and Alice all like working together. And, like, fucking no, prob- probably not. No, but a- admittedly, I- Alice is very, very, very lucky, and that's kind of important. She'll just kind of wing it a lot of the time, doesn't she? Hmm. Get away with stuff. She starts by saying, my name is Alice, and then she gives you all the exposition you need, which is kind of like a nailer. She makes it, a pro- you know, um, <laughs> you know, digestible to the layman. And then she goes off and shoots the problem, um, accidentally finds a cure somewhere and goes, yeah, great. Nailed it. Brilliant. If you Lots can't shoot motion. the problem, I don't want to hear about it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I feel like it's a she- bold choice. I could definitely see a film where it's Alice, like, escorting two scientists, one very pragmatic and the other one weird through, you know, a kind yeah, of chaotic, yeah. apocalyptic yeah. situation. I mean, that's basically Resident Evil 2. You know. <laughs> uh, or, no, I'm not going to even try and identify which one it is. Um, extinction? Don't know. No, Apocalypse, I believe. Um, Don't act like you know, Tim. <laughs> no uh, one knows. Um, it's Apocalypse. Yeah, so I, I, I can see that kind of... like in a, in a very specific situation, she'd be the perfect person. Um, and you just have to hope that, like, Doc Brown, she sort of treats him with a sort of stoic uh, disregard rather than him completely getting on her wick and she ends up shooting him. That's very possible, yeah. And, yeah, I think it should be good at the kind of... If the Doc needs to go to CDC or Hextall needs to go and visit Doc Brown and his garage <laughs> I guess you could have Alice be the escort through the apocalyptic wasteland so yeah uh, she's, sh- here's, here's a pitch for you <clears throat> oh, here we go Doc Brown's train is basically you make it like a pandemic snow piercer so oh, it's just oh my God. like a travelling lab crossing the country um, that's Find literally Resident Evil 6 <laughs> Khaleesi um <laughs> It is. It is. Uh, it's 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 genuinely interesting because as much as you need the the brains there and the ingenuity behind you know Brown Hextall, you you really need a bodyguard or some muscle or someone to be able. I mean, <laughs> the thing is that Alice does get through not just like oh she's like good in a one scenario. It's like because obviously this fucking franchise throws everything at her. She's a great pilot. She's a great driver. She's a good motivator of people. She's a good tactician. She's, <laughs> as much as I hate to say these things, um, <laughs> she's good at organizing and orchestrating things, and also very physically adept. So yeah, she's she's. If you need it's a sample, for example, kind of a big she's problem with it. those films that, that she's just kind of the best at everything. Yeah, but and and as you say, she's fucking psychic, or telekinetic, <laughs> <laughs> or both. Oh, I hate that franchise so much. Um, it's it's an interesting choice. I can see why you'd gone for it, but... Uh... I kind of wanted to be a bit silly, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Togden. Yes. Why don't you please round out your trio 
and finish this off. Robot. So Terminator, like you said. Yep. Yep. The anti-Terminator. So I went back to Marvel, and I tried to not do, but I sort of accidentally didn't realise I went back to Disney and Marvel. But uh, the other one people forget about. Um, so I've got my um, my digital tech experts. Uh, I've got my uh, moralistically driven ultra leader. I need someone who's actually going to be able to fix a problem. Um, I need someone who's going to be able to provide medical assistance if needed. I'm going to be someone who's going to be able to treat the situation accordingly, assess things from a... Much like you guys have a scientist or a medical person on board, I also need someone who arguably has a carbon fiber body that that can uh, get into certain situations in our places. Um, And... I was like, oh, this isn't a white guy. And I realized, well, actually, literally is white and kind of a guy. So, yeah. So I went for Baymax from Big Hero 6. Um, because I I think if you've got Kusanagi being the, the, the hard edge and Cap being the, 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 the necessary uh, solid leadership, I need a soft side. I need something that the people can... Uh, they, you know, they, 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 they understand. You need a hug the, at the end of it all. I need, yeah, that's exactly it. Thank you, Jack. People need, people need a fucking hug, and, and just, uh, just someone who's trained for all manner of of mental and physical trauma that goes along with these things, whether it is, you know, a, an injury or wound, or just something as simple as you, you got some elevated stress. Are you, are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? Do you want, do you want a hug? And I think that's really necessary. If you, especially if you have someone who's like the, these two individuals, who are so very stoic, and <laughs> distant, and unknowable, and and a little more than human, you need the most human element you can get, which is something that's a robot, um, <laughs> and just 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 heartbreaking. Now I must admit, I was this close to going with my second choice, which was the Iron Giant, um, for the same principle. But he has no medical knowledge, and I need oh, someone who knows what they're doing. He's not useful, particularly. He's just—he's big. He can lift things. He doesn't provide any shelter, like, medical assistance, or—he's also a walking nuke. <laughs> 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 um, yes, no. So Baymax was my choice, and also Baymax can fly. Um, if you want, you know, which always ends the film. So um, yeah, that was my—that was my third choice, Baymax. Very, very nice. You, you've got, yeah. Uh, Baymax is is a genius pick because, like you say, you've got encyclopedic medical knowledge, uh, incredibly charming. You've basically got if if you need to uh, have a mascot for your like, <laughs> efforts, you've you've got one built right there. Uh, mm. Plus, he flies and he knows kung fu. So yeah, all mine came from comics. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to, but then uh, we end up here anyway. I feel I feel like we've managed to looking at all three of our squads. Mm. We've basically got a good selection that uh the weirder your crisis gets, like it it kind of goes up a level. So like mine is kind mm. of would be good for where we are in the world right now. You know, you've yes. got you've got kind of sensible people with, you know, communications and medical and and kind of crisis skills. Um and then you you know if 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 things get weirder you knock it up to Matt squad where you've got super <laughs> superheroes and How cyborgs. I guess and, mine was going to be the most weird. And robots. <laughs> uh, 
but but still people who are you know kind of relatively uh grounded in terms of the problems relatable individuals yeah. yeah yeah and then and then if it gets really weird it's got you've got <laughs> Time travel and whatever the fuck Resident Evil is. Uh, My name is Alice. And then just Doctor Doctor Hexel to just kind of ground it in. No, no, no. We still need to look after people. <laughs> I know you guys want to jettison this nuclear waste over mm-hmm. Nevada, but uh, there's people there. <laughs> My God, Alice! <laughs> just talk Brown screaming. Something's gonna be done about I- your kids, your zombie kids. Just... What we've actually done is work out like the three stages of crisis and apocalypse. It's like, okay, in the early days we need this squad, then we step it up, then we step it up. Yeah. Mm. And we've we've secretly built three separate layers of it. And I think that's, yeah, that says a lot it's about impressive. us as people. It's as impressive. Well. It does. It really does. How we handle issues and more importantly, I think this is an interesting thing about if you ever go for an idealized version or, or idols in general, you tend to go with either your better qualities or things you wish you had as qualities. And I think you're right. I think this genuinely speaks to our sensibilities as people. Um, but also in, in your case, Jack, some people like to have a bit of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so we should probably address, um, because a lot of people will be listening along to this and thinking themselves, you know, you, you're formulating your own lists, hopefully, and we genuinely would like to hear them, so please do get in touch and so on and so forth on Twitter and Discord, etc, etc, etc. But you'll be... I know full well people will be screaming at me down the the the, 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 the realms of the internet, um, why didn't you pick XYZ? Now, I'll tell you one of my wife's picks, because... I, when we were coming up with when Tim mentioned this, I said, "Oh, oh!" and turned to my wife and said, "What do you think?" And she said, um, for, "The first person she said was Cap," and I said, "Yes, that's why you're my wife." Um, <laughs> and then the second picture she said was the TSA guy from Get Out, and I said, "Brilliant, <laughs> TS motherfucking A, um, he gets shit done." Uh, I was like, "Yeah, fair." And then the third one she mentioned was Ripley, and I said, "Oh, no." Can't have Ripley. Um, and she said, why not? Ripley's badass. I'm like, yeah. Nobody listens to Ripley. And everything goes to shit for her all the time. And the thing is, in our films, there's trials and tribulations, but the characters, the majority of them come out the other side having, in inverted commas, won or done a good job or the right thing or whatever. Ripley always gets fucked every time. So you kind of don't want her in a crisis unless you have someone with, you know, like a nailer or uh, or a Rogers trying to sell the idea behind her because no one's going to listen to Ripley. Yeah, she's she's a very good survivor, but she's not really that much of a people person. Um, yeah. And, you know, when she's saving people, it tends to be in the abstract of, like, I'm going to crash this ship rather than let it crash in... rather than let the, uh, the xenomorphs loose on Earth kind mm. of thing. Um, and... <laughs> Yeah, she's she's um like you say she's a great example to follow in mm. terms of what you should do during a crisis. You know, there never would have been a problem with aliens if they'd have observed quarantine protocol. Um yes. which is the thing that Ripley is telling them to do. Um and she's someone who's, you know, very good at following all these safety rules that they have in place. Um so we should all be more like Ripley. But yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that she's the person that you want on your kind of 
your team tackling it. She is the she's the person you want to hold up as an example of what to be like. I agree. I agree. In, in a weird way, back to robots. In a weird way, you and Bishop your fucking robots. Baby. I know. Bishop is the best example of who would be in the alien universe because he's self-sacrificing. He's human. He's genuinely in touch with people. But again, it's like ah, another white male. Yay. Um, and it's 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 difficult because uh, again, what what is it to be human? What is it to do the right thing? He's also got a scientific mind. He's maybe a bit distant at times, but he's still, you know, he knows he's got to go and do the certain thing, crawling through those air vents and stuff. Um, but Ripley is the better person. But I think again, as as Tim said, Ripley is what you need to work towards yourself on a singular level. Bishop is a guy you need on the. Sh- it's why he's a, you know a standard issue for every mission because you need someone like that to to help you out of a crisis, basically. Mm. Any other? I mean, again, we we were talking about just ideas of who could be used, and again, it's the nature of uh, nobody listens to that person, and uh, they're not. Again, I just like Spock, for example. It's like I don't want another white guy, and it was just the same thing over and over. But that's again the nature of films. It's very rare that you will have a film where you have a female character uh, or person of colour in the lead who rallies people to a single cause, overcomes adversity and odds successfully without extreme hardship or being the most abrasive motherfucker in the room. Um, it's not enough to be right. You have to be right with attitude kind of thing. And it's like, this is... It's 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 a weird... And I want to... If I'm studying conspiracy theory for a second, I think there is a genuine... Uh, put people down mindset you you can't show a, a, any sect of society other than one particular one being in in the way of like what for example competence porn can't show them being super good at something otherwise it would prove that everyone else is good at something as well it's the idea that it's not just this elite group of individuals there are a whole swath of people who can do it and obviously there are perfect examples across different media from from international resources and such like that but again based on budgets and the idea of a, a huge crisis, whether it's um, a pandemic or climate change or whatever, it's 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 a bit rare that you see... I mean, Snowpiercer, for example. Um, I mean, I, I was actually thinking about Snowpiercer very briefly. Song Kang Ho's character um, is great, because he sees past everything. He understands that the ice is throwing. He's the only one on the train that seems to understand that the ice is thawing and he wants to get out. But again, I don't know if he's one I want to get, go within a crisis. I don't know if he's the right thing. And, and, and then, yeah. So there are lots of different examples, as I say, but it's very difficult trying to to gauge who is most appropriate. I think, I think there's definitely a, an issue in terms of films uh, of the the kinds of people that we allow to be essentially the heroes um, in these situations and the kind of people who have to be supporting characters, many of whom, you know, in in, in this kind of film, will often die off. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's because we uh, often think of kind of uh, film and TV in a sort of monolithic way uh, a lot of the time. When I was Mm. coming into this, I was like, oh, there'll be loads of female doctors I can pick from. And then I started thinking, and I was like, oh, no, they're all on TV. There's, Mm. like, 
and I'm sure that people, you know, are obviously going to come up with their own picks and come up with, you know, ones that that either I haven't seen or, or completely neglected sure, to sure. think of. But but I really struggled, you know, in, in in that category. It's like, oh man, yeah. A, you know, medical dramas are so prevalent on TV, whereas they're not the type of thing that film does as much. Mm, um, true. But also, it does feel like Hollywood's kind of really lagging behind in, in terms of representation there. Um, you know, when I was I was kind of looking through, you know, Doctors in Cinema, uh, the one who really leapt out to me was um, Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. I was like, there's, oh. <laughs> there's, there's someone who copes. Who, it's medical training and uh, a real survivor. Uh, but again, another white guy. Yeah, I mean, if you do like historical fiction stuff, that, that's the that's the only time you really get an example. So, um, if you take, um, uh, let's say, Hidden Figures, for example, where you got uh, what's her name, Catherine Johnson and uh, Dorothy Vaughan and other sort of people, and it's just like, oh, there, there you go, prime example, people of color, actual mm. scientists and uh, incredible mathematicians, etc., etc. You're like, yeah, and their story is their struggle. It's, mm. it's not about. That, that, that you know in in the crisis and in the situation or whatever it is um if you take like again a story like hidden figures or you take a story like apollo 13 they're framed very differently and for, for obvious reasons but equally they're framed in a way that portrays the um how can i phrase this portrays the white guy softly like oh yeah. <laughs> he helped it's like no no, and again, it's it's it, it doesn't always have to be that sort of combative look at things, but unfortunately, they're going to make sort of how you know global history fucking works. That's the kind of story that's been tell. But it's nice to see that with uh, it's, it's more TV than film at this point, but um, film is slowly crawling there. Where I tend to point out things like, "Huh, that's nice, a bit of diversity there," and whenever there's a um, um, an example of. Uh, historical film where it's like like david copperfield for example recently and it's like doesn't matter they're the right for the role just fling them in there it's like in the same way you see a shakespearean play it doesn't matter if it's mm. played by a man a woman uh someone of any any um ethnicity or nationality sling them in there it's 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 a it's a um, um identifiable story so it doesn't matter necessarily and the same way we're talking about Parasite, for example, a couple of a couple of months ago. Parasite is one of those ones that relates to anyone at any time. It's it's just so simply uh, easy to get into. But there is one individual who does that: male dude, um, person of color, literally the luckiest motherfucker in all his films because he fixes all the problems. And that's The Rock. And I'm <laughs> slightly surprised none of us picked him because you'd feel like he'd be. So, so many people's like first go to like which one which one of the rocks do you go with it's like do i go with three different the rocks um one from san andreas one from um arguably go from the one from the fast and furious and feelings and it's like well yeah you 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 could do that that would arguably work even the rock from what the fuck was that high-rise film I, I, I skyscraper Sky, of course it was called skyscraper yeah. fuck's sake yeah, you could just. Uh, what about him? It's like, yeah, no. He even he gets lucky enough, and that he he stumbles across all these things, and uncovers things accidentally, and he protects his family at the same time. In that old cliche, eighties action film sort of thing, it's 
it's just very interesting that that's what is being portrayed. It's still the idea of who's going to save us, you know, in in the nature of like a, a crisis or a problem or whatever it's going to be. A big strong man is going to save <laughs> us. But I think again, I don't want to sound like I'm harping on about a conspiracy mindset, but I do think that it's just very much a case of portraying a certain image of what it means to be saved, and you're being saved by a big dude. It's funny enough, I nearly picked. The Rock from San Andreas. And I thought, well, if this is a crisis that is, you know, global environmental change or whatever, you know, a big natural disaster, you want the biggest, strongest Samoanist man you can you can find. <laughs> but I thought, it, it doesn't actually do anything in that film. He just kind of yeah. flies a helicopter about. Providing his family's not at risk, because then... If his family's at risk, he'll just go with his family's professed priority. You could just have three rocks and just be sorted, but is is that too much rock? <laughs> rock, paper, scissors. I choose rock, rock, rock. <laughs> so those are our three teams for tackling various crises, apocalypses, pandemics, all kinds of other stuff. And as Matt mentioned earlier on in the episode, please let us know if you want to come up with a team of trio of cinematic fictional characters to fix your problems in a crisis, please let us know. You can let us know. You can let us know on Twitter at Sequelizers. Of course, Instagram. We're also at Sequelizers. If you have a, a longer message to send, Sequelizers at gmail.com is also the place to send it. We also have a lovely Discord, and it's a fantastic little community of people there. Um, we did tweet a link to that not too long ago, and I will add that to our pinned message on our Twitter profile. So. If you're listening to this episode, you can go and look at our Twitter profile and you can get the invite link on there as well. It's a really nice little community. We talk about all different kinds of stuff, including post-episode discussions. Matt and Tim and I are pretty active in there as well, so we'll be answering questions and chatting with you guys. And we'll talk comics and video games and professional wrestling and TV and RPGs and all kinds of other stuff. Mm-hmm. So much so that I've even started a role-playing game with a few of our listeners. So, uh, yeah. yeah. It's been a, a really nice little way of building our community of listeners and friends and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I highly recommend it. I had no idea what Discord was before we started this. And Tim has kind of guided us through. And now I'm signed up to, how many is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different Discords, including ours. Bloody hell. And I'm a bit addicted to it. So <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend coming and joining us and uh, discussing some topics with us if you're interested and inclined in such a way. It's also a good distraction if you're still in isolation. Oh, it's been a, yeah, it's been a huge support for me in isolation. I'm just like yeah, I can just chat with people and meet new people who have common interests and stuff. So a lot of the podcasts I I listen to and follow and stuff also have discords of their own. So you know you have that kind of common ground already. I feel like it's kind of like Twitter, but filtering out all the nutters and the bullshit because you don't have to deal with all the the morons. You know that they're gonna have you know, common ground with you in a lot of ways. And, and I can certainly speak for our own Sequelizer server that it has been nothing but super cool discussions, really nice guys, really interesting topics. And I agree. Yeah, it's been really, really positive. So I highly Except encourage us. you to come you and join to, us there. Still to handle us, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, we're still there as well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah in, a, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a return to the old sort of bulletin boards. Of, it really of the, is, uh, yeah. The uh, circa 2000 internet. Uh, I, I agree. But yeah, it's it's a really nice community, and uh, you should come come join us. Definitely, definitely. If you want to contact us directly, 
you can do it on the Discord. You can message us on there. You can also get me at JLW Chambers on Twitter. You can get Tim Trivia underscore Lad, and you can get Matthew Stoggs S T O G H Z on the Twitter as well. And we actually have a listener feedback episode, as we have done in the past. If you want to get your questions answered on the show and make some suggestions, if you have pictures of your own you want us to read out and discuss, please do join in the conversation there. You can probably the easiest way is an email, sequelizers at gmail.com is the place to send it to. And uh, if you are able to, we would very much appreciate your support by reviewing us on various podcast apps, whatever your podcast listening app of choice is and sharing us around via social media and if you are financially stable at this time and able to support us in that way you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and we would very much appreciate any support financially or otherwise in these difficult times and uh if you, if you can't afford a uh, a regular donation on patreon but you're looking for some way to show your love of the sequelizers you can now buy t-shirts on our store uh, which is sequelizers.com slash shop. Uh, we have T-shirts available on there from uh, small to 2XL. Uh, they ship internationally. And uh, in the future, we're going to be putting up some more interesting items, including some prints of the amazing film posters that we've had made by uh, Mr. John Scarrett, who's, who's done yeah. some truly sterling work for us. Scarrett's the man, and they are really, really cool. And yeah, we're going to get a few of those printed up, available for patrons, and they will be available later on in the store as well. And yeah, why not get some lovely merch and uh, enjoy showing off your support for the show? Yeah, if you want to highlight that you are a person to go to at a crisis and say, that person looks like they know what they, they know what's going on, that their head's screwed on, they've got the right idea. How do I know this? I know this because they're wearing a sequelizer t-shirt. Classy. And with all of that out of the way, we thank you very much for listening, and we will continue making content throughout this crisis that we're currently living through. So, mm. we will see you next week, dear listeners. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.